0: Welcome to DTC Pod, where we take you behind the wheel with the best founders and operators of consumer brands. You'll learn the ins and outs of business from setting up shop, hitting your first million, scaling past eight figures, and even navigating an exit. As founders ourselves, our goal is to help you learn from the best as you build. Visit us at dtcpod.com to sign up for our weekly newsletter, join our founder community, and find additional resources from every episode. DTC Pod is brought to you by Trend, the creative solution for your brand. Go to Trend.io to access thousands of creators for content needs such as product photography, unboxing videos, or even TikTok and IG Organic Creative. Use the code DTCpod10 for 10% off your next content purchase. Are you curious how much your business is worth? Get your free no-obligation offer from OpenStore at Open.Store. This episode of DTC Pod is also brought to you by Peel Insights, the e-commerce analytics platform that supercharges all of your retention efforts every day and with every customer. Go to PeelInsights.com slash DTC Pod to learn how hundreds of e-commerce brands use Peel to reveal purposeful insights like LTV, AOV, repurchase rate, churn, and hundreds of metrics more. See how brands are nurturing deeper customer relationships with easy-to-use retention tools, that hyper-target and provide immediate growth. The subscription market is predicted to grow nearly $500 billion by 2025. ReCharge is the leading subscription management solution, helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by ReCharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTCpod. What's up DTC Pod? Today we're joined by Jack Benz again, who is the founder of DuraDry. So Jack, I'll let you kick us off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about DuraDry, the company and
1: the products that you build,
0: and then we can get into a little bit of background about yourself as well.
1: hey, Blaine. Thank you for having me, brother. So, um, long story short, as a teenager, I sweat a lot, and I noticed a bunch of my friends sweating a lot. I've been in CPG for 18 years, and you know, it just it just made sense to to develop something for that specific problem. Not only because I have it, but because I know a lot of people has it, um, and there isn't a a, a company devoted. To solving this problem and everything around it because it's not only sweating on the underarms there's people that have sweating uh in the hands and feet and back and you know you name it so so the idea is to create a brand around that problem uh and to basically position it as a go-to brand for anything sweating
0: yeah and, and you guys have definitely come a long way i know i've seen your your stuff everywhere i know the the red packaging is super recognizable and so by now you guys have been building it a while and so it's grown into a very recognizable brand in the space but i want to get into a little bit of your background before starting dojo you said you've been in the space for a while before launching this brand around your specific problem so what was your background in the cpg space how did you get started to put yourself in a position to go and start to build DuraDrive?
1: Um, Good question. The answer is not what people might expect. I'm a systems engineer with an MBA in finance, nothing to do with with CPG, but it's what I've done most of my life. Literally was helping my aunt product for her to sell down in Venezuela where I'm from um she liked the product which was a pregnancy test kit those disposable ones she didn't know how to you know deal with all the regulatory part design supply chain all that but she knew how to sell so we partnered up uh i was so young at the time i was 22 now i'm 40 uh and then you know one year after we started you know as 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 you might expect we started having, uh, some friction. Uh, that would be like my first suggestion for, for anyone listening to this. (laughs) Don't do the, don't, don't do business with family unless, unless, um, it's like a side hustle for both. And you both have your own, uh, stable source of income. Like you don't want to have that tension, right? But anyway, she left uh the business and i just kept going and developing more stuff and then when i moved to the states nine years ago it just was natural for me uh to to continue in cpg i launched a bunch of things on amazon at different brands uh but then i i got rid of everything and i and i kept going on this path um so one note about that is that i came nine years ago to this country not network no knowledge of how the system works, no social security, no credit score, no nothing. So if I figure it out, you should be able to figure it out.
0: Well, I I love that perspective because I think everyone, when they're getting in the space, whether they're building in CPG and apparel and fashion and whatever, like a lot of times it's not something that they teach you in school. And so people need to start learning they need resources whether it's like ours like a podcast or listening and learning from founders like you so i'd love to to just kind of get into that for a little bit what was what were those key learnings of like you said you got to the states and you're like okay now i want to set up this business what were some of the things that you had to do and learn that maybe aren't something that people that people take for granted or don't actually think about
1: in getting one of these businesses set up oh my god like that people take for granted i can make a long list but let's you know leave that for another day because i could get political on on how easy uh having an american citizenship uh makes everything for you it sets you up you know in such a advantageous position right but i would say that honestly if you want to do something just keep pushing. Maybe it's a little bit brute force at the beginning where you learn it, meaning, Hey, I want to develop this product. Okay. So you start calling a bunch of contract manufacturers and then you find out, okay, so there's people that work in specific type of, of categories, like specific for liquid, specific for powder, specific for wipes, like all these things. Then, um, maybe you find out that there are MOQs and each factory has a different MOQ and maybe Uh, then like the point that I'm trying to get across is that you don't need someone to hold your hand and show you the thing. If you really want to do it, you just have to brute force it. Of course you read, of course you ask people, of course you listen to podcasts, but in the end it's you that has to solve the problem. Meaning even though, even if someone tells you the whole recipe, you will need to, to, you know, use your brain. Hey, if I make this thing, you know, at five ounces, how am I gonna compete with this other brand? Oh, they're much more, they're cheaper than me. So what if I, instead of five ounces, I do eight ounces? And what are the thresholds to ship product or the tiers of cost of, of, of yeah, the tiers of, of shipping on Amazon? Okay, it's, this is a structure, okay? So the product has to be, you know, maximum 12 ounces plus the four ounces of Amazon ads. So you have to figure it out. Like no one is gonna tell you the whole thing. Um, I'm here for anybody that, that wants to ask me anything, my, my pleasure, you know, if I can help you a little bit, I'll, I'll gladly do so.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's such a good point. I think it's ultimately you need to just get your hands dirty and that's the best way to start learning and everyone's product, everyone, the problem that they wanna solve is always a little bit different. And you know your niche, you know what you're competing with, so it's kind of on you to go out based on the resources that you have and try to get to some level of production as quick and early as you can. Um, whether it's you know finding the right manufacturer for the specific product that you're building at the right price, these are all things that are come really come down to an individual. Because if you're a big you know conglomerate and you just want to launch a new brand, you're you're thinking about things in a totally different way than a founder is who might be bootstrapping versus the founder who might be raising capital versus um, you know any other sort of way to get absolutely started. So why don't we go back-
1: Absolutely different, just, just a quick parenthesis there. For example, a Procter Gamble might be optimizing for the case sizes. So they fit perfectly in a pallet and they optimize the volume that they're gonna uh, uh, basically have to ship. You as a brand owner don't care for that 05 percent uh, saving in in freight in freight costs. You are optimizing for you know bigger things. Maybe hey, what if I you know add this ingredient? People are gonna like it better or not? What if I, I, I maybe I test five fragrances and then this fragrance has thirty percent better sales or better repeat. Uh, uh purchase rate than the other ones so you need to optimize quote-unquote optimize for the big stuff forget about the small stuff leave that for later so don't waste time on you know microscopically measuring everything just just you know freaking launch and then you'll figure it out
0: yeah and i think that's a really good point too because you can't just look at what everyone else is doing and just assume that's going to work because they're doing it because they might like you're saying they're optimizing for different kpis um And which kind of leads me into my next question about specifically the deodorant space that you were entering, right? Because you knew there was a specific problem to address, but if you were just like looking at it, like, yes, obviously there's deodorants at the time that you guys launched DuraDry, you Mm -hmm. understood from your unique vantage point that if you launched a brand that targeted a specific niche customer Mm -hmm. and you gave them a specific value prop at a specific price point, you would be able to carve out a niche. Whereas the bigger, Um, you know, manufacturers, they had product that were in every, you know, convenience store, every, Mm -hmm. um, you know, CVS or Walmart or whatever Mm it is across the country. So why don't you talk to us in that same lens? Why don't you talk to us about when you were launching DuraDry, right? Like, what were those considerations that you were making? How did you know that there was a market here? And what did you say you were going to do differently from the other massive players that were already uh, out in market?
1: yeah yeah okay so it's such a broad question but yes um are very important because it it almost evens the playing field for you because you're a very small company with limited resources so the the smaller the focus area that you can direct those limited resources to, towards the higher chances of success so that's why it's better to choose a niche a niche when you are starting out then you can maybe worry about broadening the appeal of your brand to get out of that niche and just make make your target market uh bigger um i knew about the problem because i have it a bunch of my friends had it uh, and, you know, there's a lot of information on the internet. You just have to make a little bit of, of research. Don't pay attention to VCs that says, hey, you need to tell me the, the you know, the, the market, your time, your, your actual, the, the sound, the, all those, it's bullshit. So it just, you know, as long as there's a market, um, you can do something there. Then you'll figure it out. By the way, if you're the market, for example, I'm sure that squatty potty, how could they possibly measure the market they couldn't but then they launched a thing and it was successful um you know poo poo how can you measure a market that is not there right um hero cosmetics jew how could she measure a market i mean she could measure that there were, that there were a bunch of, of of you know solutions for acne and the size of a market but she had a she had a very specific solution and she couldn't, you know, for sure know how big it would be. So you have to have, you know, a mix of both. And I would say that that's where your founder market fit comes to comes to their rescue because if you don't have hard numbers, at least you have an informed or or a guesstimation of how big this problem can be, right? Um, And and, and let me cut it there because, you know, we're we're getting off topic before we know it.
0: (laughs) No, absolutely. Um, And I think the next question I have as it pertains to DuraDry, right, is I do think the, the point about really going after it your own way is super important, not listening to necessarily, you know, don't let your business be dictated by what VCs are saying about your market. The one thing that I've always found interesting in building companies is A lot of times things go like slow in the beginning and then exponential. Right. So if you're, if you're building something for a niche, you know, and, and someone, a VC might be talking to you and being like, oh, well, how big is the market for people who specifically have like this sweat, Mm -hmm. uh, like profusive sweating problem, Mm -hmm. but you're kind of like, wait a minute, that's not exactly my market, my market, like I'm starting there. But if I can secure, if I can corner a small portion of that niche market, and then we grow, we're going to start to bring in other people who aren't so niche. That just normal people who exactly. need deodorant too. Everyone, everyone wears deodorant, and then all of a sudden it goes uh, exponential. So that's why I, I don't really like the concept of oh, if we can just get one percent of this whole market, because that's not really how. How things work, right?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent.
0: So th- that leads me to my next question for DuraDry mm-hmm. and how you guys got started. So, what was your like? What was your initial go-to-market? How big were you guys getting started? Were you super confident in the problem, so you uh, you know you are you had all your operations ready to go, or was it more of a, a bootstrap thing? Let's test it out and then. Uh, We saw that things were working and then we started to scale it up or did you raise a bunch of capital? How did you get started?
1: Yes. So I was very confident in the problem. Um, I bootstrapped it, put a little bit of money, myself, a little bit of money from a friend of mine that just angel invested in me. Um, And I think honestly, looking, looking back, it's the most painful way, but it's the right way, especially if it is your first uh, brand, there's so much stuff that can go uh, wrong. So if you're playing with a lot of capital, either yours or a VC, VC's capital, you're gonna ruin the whole flight. Dude, like, you don't know what you're doing. You have to start as small as you can. Even if you raise, you start as small as you can, small runs, uh, even if you have to pay more per unit, there are so many things that you will need to improve as time goes by not only on the product formula packaging uh but also on the marketing messaging business model subscription no subscription membership amazon not amazon wholesale not wholesale dude it's infinite so my recommendation very personal it's just that it hurt like if you're a founder you want the thing today You don't want to think, okay, I need to do it slowly by slowly, and maybe in five years, I'll be able to move from growing like this to to go exponential. But the reality is that you increase your chances of success if you go very slow at the beginning, take the the long-hanging fruit for acquisition, meaning, you know, you don't need to grow at all costs, grow with a long-hanging fruit, with, with what Google, Facebook, Amazon, etc. are gonna give you at a very low cost to keep the operation as close to cash flow neutral, and then you'll figure out your formula. Because there is actually a formula and each business has to figure it out. You need to be build a model, you know, have a, a, a customer acquisition cost there, and, and you know, cost of goods, refunds, returns, all that, and then And then project how you're going to grow this thing because maybe the maybe the answer is hey i cannot grow it unless i increase my margins by 15 percent or unless i my aov is a hundred dollars so i need to launch more products or maybe you know so there's so much stuff that you need to figure out that is better to start slow
0: yeah a hundred percent and so i love the fact that you start bootstrapped you started, and you had you had a friend that was able to angel invest. So when we when we think about the first order, the first like product cycle that was DuraDry, right? Like, what was it? Was it one product line? What was like the MOQ? How much did you raise in the, in that first initial thing to get started? And then you know, how long did it take you to sell through that first batch, if you will?
1: Yeah. um, Okay, so I'm going to change my answer to what I would do if I were starting today for any founder listening. Okay. So I would say, number one, run the minimum size batch that you can. Um, And when I say minimum that you can, I don't mean 100 units, maybe a little bit more than 100. But if if that's what you feel comfortable with, then only do 100. Then Um, Instead of launching on my website, I would launch on Amazon, I would, you know, get reviews from a few friends, Uh, don't let Amazon listen to this podcast, but that's what you need to do, to, you know, to have a little bit of social proof, and then, you know, slowly by slowly curate that listing, improve the images, the descriptions, add some ads, um, start selling, maybe. Try to get some feedback from from customers. Uh, maybe you sell on your site a little bit to, to also get a direct connection and, and have your customers on the phone and just ask as much as you can. What do you think about the price? What do you think about the product? How fast, how slow? you know what you think about the fact as much as you can um and take it from there so that's what i would say
0: yeah i I think that's a really good point because when it comes to early iteration like you're saying if you have for example if you raise a big vc round and you're going after something you don't even have your proof points across like is this something that people want is the price point right is the packaging right is the branding right is the messaging right all these different things if you like slow things down and you you get a small batch to get going and you're able to test out through your own channel where you're communicating with customers and Amazon, which you're able to like get your product in front of like objective buyers who you don't really know and you don't have that first party connection mm-hmm. with, but like they're, they're like real people who would be evaluating your product. I think that's a really smart way to start, you know, tinkering with that iteration cycle. And if you like what you see, then you can get, sca- you can start to like scale up for
1: your your next order and your next order. And the most important thing, order. Blaine. The most important thing is remain as close as uh, as possible to cash flow neutral, or burning very little money. Go Google DuraDry and go to images, and you'll see our old packaging, and that's you know how we ran for like three and a half years until we changed to the to the red packaging. You know when we were able to afford a better designer uh i mean the red our current packaging doesn't seem to have a lot of design going on but that's the magic of the designer that we that we selected it's a branding expert he's the one that did, you know they buy beverage you know the one that's pomegranate um you know super smart guy so the point is just you know keep it classroom neutral and if you see that you can grow it slowly by slowly by keeping cash flow neutral. You're golden. You will be able to, to grow the business. And- so
0: is the, is the, the dirt, I'm looking on Google images. Is that the, uh, the one that's like a white tube with like some blue and pink? Is yeah. that, that's what it used to be? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You guys, you guys look great, but I think it's, it's so important because it just goes to show that you were solving a problem first and foremost and then it just goes to show you said you were like that in market for over three years you were selling you were growing the business and then you were like okay now we want to put some real gas on the fire now let's go through we can rebrand our whole thing but we've proved that this is something people want even if it's in a more generic sort of packaging or whatever and now when we make it like really magical and stitch that whole brand image across everything we know what problems we're solving we really know who our customer is and now you're investing in brand at that point instead of making all those assumptions without any proof or data points to to begin with right like you, yeah i think a lot of brands probably start from nothing with uh you know they, the, they maybe they start at brand which can work which can definitely work but sometimes i i know a lot of founders often gravitate towards that rather than solving the problem side of things yeah and if you're not solving a problem you can have a pretty package but um, it 's almost going to cloud your judgment over wh- what's what 's actually happening, what are like the fundamentals of the product
1: one hundred percent i would I would even go to the extent of saying that and you know please forgive me everyone that did so, but if you go to a branding agency in new york they 're going to charge you a quarter of a million bucks to develop your brand. You are you are out of your mind unless you raise a ton of money, uh, which, based on what we said earlier, um, is not the best idea. It's better to start slow. Um, by the way, this this sounds like a blanket statement, but it's not. There is a lot of people that start, you know, with a great branding and great experience and everything, and it goes amazing for them. All I'm saying is that my recommendation is to start slow uh, with a little bit of money to make those mistakes. In a smaller scale it's better to learn with less money than than more right well well,
0: yeah and i mean i even come coming from the software side of things even when we think about building software and um work what projects to work on and allocate resources to sometimes you think about like okay is there a problem here can we start this as a services business? Does it really need to be software as a service with a fully mm-hmm. designed UI that people are using? Or is, is there a fundamental problem that if you said, hey, I can manually solve this problem for you, would people still want you to do it? And if they do, then okay, great. Brand it, productize it, put uh, all the 100%. bells and whistles on it,
1: right? hundred uh, percent. You put 10 VAs in the back end, just doing the work instead of automating it. And then you'll see if it makes sense to, to develop the actual thing right yeah
0: a hundred percent I love that um, just as a, a way of thinking because I do think especially in in the d2c space right there's a lot of really flashy brands and I think that's what a lot of people often gravitate to because they're making all the waves in terms of branding and PR and influencers and all this sort of stuff but um, you know you really need to focus on getting the fundamentals right and you can always layer that in and, and maybe that that's a good transition point into um, you guys you so you guys did did the stuff for three years you redid the branding what was um you know being able to layer in the branding layer after you've already solved the problem layer what were you able to see there was what was the response to the new design after you'd already proved that this is a problem that is worth solving that people want that we know we have customers for that we're generating capital around and now we're going to layer in amazing branding and and marketing what what was why don't you just take me take us through that
1: yeah so when you're solving a problem like we were and and the branding layer is not there as you were saying um you are somewhat capped why are you capped because to go to the next level you have to show to the market that you are you are they, that you are at that level before you actually enter. meaning um, it would have been much more difficult to get some retailers with the old branding than with the new brand. At least that's my guesstimation and that's why I made that bet. It's already yielding its fruits so it might like it might have been the right bet. Also the conversion rate on the on the website uh, increased a little bit. And also, part of the bet was that with a nicer-looking product, retention would improve. I think we still have to make some progress there, and and most people have to make progress in retention, even if they don't acknowledge it. But but um, the play is more macro than than performance-based. Makes sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and just kind of piggybacking off that so what what are you guys really focused on now as it pertains to marketing and retention right like what are what are some of the key challenges that you see and what are you guys doing to address those challenges as you guys have grown
1: yeah i do think that there is okay so we have a rising cost of acquisition that means that we need to focus on retention and retention let's let's think about it not as a subscription retention but as a revenue retention requiring someone how much they spend month one two three and so on and so forth okay so that leads to the next set of challenges which is how do you improve that retention because if you do it with discounts you can erode your branding your branding no your 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 brand position right um so you have to figure out how to do it right and just to mention something that i think it's important as, as a as a thought about what the future is going to look like i do think that we all in the space arrive to the conclusion that subscriptions will give us a higher OTV and that improves that that formula that i was mentioning to you before because acquisition is going up correct the challenge then becomes that people hate subscriptions there is a big anti-subscription uh, sentiment, I feel, in the consumer. And how do we know? Because we, as brand owners, when we behave as consumers and we're subscribed to something, we're like, damn, like you know, I just received this and it's coming more. So I'm constantly tinkering on how to solve that. I just came up with a solution I'm gonna test. If it works, I'm gonna let you know uh, what we did. But yes, retention is a must. That you need to f- to focus on and figure it out because uh, of rising cost of acquisition.
0: So I think that's a really important point in terms of subscription, right? Because a lot of times you, as a business owner, you're thinking with your business owner hat on and not your consumer hat on, and you're like, okay, a subscription product is going to be better. The so we're going to sell subscription even if it's something that maybe people don't, um, you know want to subscribe to so how do you guys manage that are you guys subscription only do you have both options so if i want to make a one-off purchase i can what channels are you on i know you mentioned amazon are you guys a subscription only on amazon or can i buy dura dry one off there how do you think about that whole mix of products so again so you're not eroding at your subscription stuff because that's so important but at the same time you're giving the consumers flexibility to to get what they want yes
1: yes i think you have to to offer both uh, because today's consumer isn't going to forgive you if you only offer one of this, unless you test it and you model it and it works, even even if you waste 80% of your acquisition cost on people that don't end up buying because they don't want to subscribe. So both Amazon and our website subscription are one-offs. And if you figure that subscriptions are much better uh, or offer you much better uh, economics, then try to convert people that bought one time into a subscriber for the second purchase. Don't force them to to subscribe on the first day. Let them them feel the value of the product and then let them figure out, okay, I like the value. And if I subscribe, I can unlock 15 or 20% off. So let me do that, but don't force people.
0: Yeah, and because I mean, from a conversion perspective, you know and it, it's tough to necessarily see in the data but subscription may be scaring a bunch of people off like there may be people who want to buy and become part of your ecosystem that you would have been able yeah. to get on a one-time purchase who then you convert um, who just may, may be like ah you know it's not worth trying because I know it's subscription right so I think yeah that's that's it's it's a really interesting thing to balance and then from a product perspective um, you know how do, how do you guys approach subscription do you um what what subscription provider do you use did you or did you build your own or how how do you think about subscription from from that point from a technical
1: point of view yes so we're using recharge um we're not having or we, we never we never had those issues that most people hate them for because we actually were on WooCommerce we switched to Shopify uh maybe a year and a few months ago so we we went into recharge Straight into the into the integrated Shopify checkout. So for us, it hasn't uh, been a headache. There are many players around. Um, Skio is building a great product. Then Loop subscriptions uh, from India is building a great product. Uh, There's smarter. There's but There are so many, right? Um, and I think that they're all doing a uh, good to excellent job. If you ask me um so we're in recharge there are a few things that are not amazing but i think that in 2023 all the subscription app apps contenders that are competing against recharge are going to level up their game and features are going to be the same and it's going to be you know a game of of sales pricing relationships and most importantly integrations i think the integrations are going to be what's gonna you know set the rules of competition
0: so what what when you talk about integrations beyond um like what integrations would be really beneficial for you as a uh,
1: as a store owner any any app needs to have integrations with the bare minimum the bare minimum is Clayview. And um, you know, depending on the nuances of your app, they need to have integrations with analytics. They need to have integrations with maybe a few fulfillment companies, like whatever are the top, you know, three to five apps in your that 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 that. Uh, just to give you an example, right? So if you are in rewards, right? you need to integrate with with you know all the all the things for example you want to give a reward when someone leaves a review so you cannot only integrate with reviews.io you have to integrate with reviews with yotpo with judge me with you know okendo makes sense
0: oh yeah absolutely very very familiar with it and um it's something that i'd love to see I mean, I've, I've heard rumblings that Shopify is really trying to be able to get into that. I think they need to like step it up and probably even do a better job of integrating some of those customer data points that live across the ecosystem. Because at the end of the day, uh, like they're the hub of the customer data layer and it's really mm-hmm. tough for merchants to be able to want to have to stand up their own CDP. But so I hopefully it's just a matter of time before they build it out really robustly and natively within Shopify. I know they've already launched a couple of those things. So hopefully that really speaks explain, things explain,
1: up. Explain, explain, explain further, what do you mean?
0: So basically right now, Sh- Shopify has, they have integrations with all the tools, but they're not, okay. they don't really have a CDP product that is integrating the customer. Say I'm the customer that's integrating my customer record that's happening across your help desk system, your review system, your return system, your subscription system, your loyalty okay. system into my one universal customer record that i can push back into all my different apps so so again the apps don't because every app isn't going to be able to build all the integrations with all the other apps so i think shopify should just build that take care of it solve that problem for all the merchants and then it makes all the plugging into all the apps even easier because it takes the customer data and just Plugs it into wherever you need it.
1: Um, I love the idea. Never thought about it, but I love the idea. That would solve the problem for everyone. Yeah. yeah. So basically like a centralized uh, data warehouse of every customer, Shopify is going to keep it, maybe the apps pay a fee to have their data there. Yeah. And then, you know, every app can read, well, with permissions can read. Exactly,
0: because like we were building software in the space for a while, and the problem we were running into, it's like we, like you were saying, if we wanted to um, build like an analytics product, but we had to integrate with everything. So before we could even build the analytics product, we start with Shopify, but. I needed to build 25 integrations before I could even go to one merchant and have them be like, yeah, this is useful. So, um, and then at the same time, as a, if I'm building a software product, I don't, I'm not gonna take the risk of like building all of that infra myself when Shopify is like the true owner and like the behemoth in the space, right? So, it, it almost seems like it's their responsibility to go out and build that and, you know, help along not only their merchants who, would benefit from improved tools and improved data clarity, but as well as the the builders who are building in the space. So I think it's just a matter of time. I think. They're... Dude,
1: I totally agree. I totally agree with you to the point that uh, Shopify could potentially make everyone sign. You know, in those smaller in those small print. Like, hey, this data we can also access in a in a not granularly, but like in a in a how do you call this aggregate way, and they can also leverage that. Uh, for whatever you know, use they, they, they can give it to right. Yeah,
0: and and I think it just it. I think where things get a little bit tricky on on the privacy level, it's like, you know, they already have a ton of data data, and they're providing the like you already have your merchant data within Shopify. And if I am building a tool and you grant me access to your Shopify data, that's one thing. But it's it's like it's a next level up to start like trading the entire customer data across all these different third party developers. So I think that's where it gets a little sticky, but, um, we'll see. I think there's going to be some, um, hopefully some big announcements coming out in the future for those sort of products, because I know it'll just help you guys out because so much of what you do relies on unified customer. data. But
1: Blaine anyway, like what you're saying, what you're afraid of is that, for example, uh Yopo if i integrated with with not integrated but like if i install it and granted access to all my other apps let's say for them to give discounts or give you know rewards to people that leave a review and judge me to give an example then you're afraid of of Yotpo coming in and just basically stealing all the data right but they could do the same thing uh Without having that centralized repository, because every time you you do an API call, you make an API call, and you get the data back, you you could potentially store it, right? As 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 an app developer. Well, Yeah,
0: no, and I th- I think where also things start to get tricky is it is a really 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 large amount of data. That's like another thing, right? Because they are you already have all the customer information, but now when you start ingesting all those different touch points, like when when we were building in this space, like. The AWS bill was absolutely insane, insane to like warehouse and store all that amount of data. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure they're working on it, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. But I know for, for merchants to be able to have customer data that really talks to each other is, is definitely an important thing. It, it's going to help out really clarity yeah. on the subscription front, on the retention front, on the marketing front. Like that's what everyone needs. Yeah. And that's why a lot of brands like spend and invest, especially at like the bigger scale why you invest in data analytics and teams like that because what you're doing is you're basically building that kind of stuff in-house and what we've seen within the shopify ecosystem is that doesn't really happen until you know brands are you know start to get to 10 11 figures in revenue then they start really investing in that sort of stuff but at the early Mm -hmm. stage too analytics and data is important but it's it's just tough from a, a merchant perspective when you don't have all the clarity that you you really wish you could have, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So moving on from data, let's talk a little bit about just market in general and how you're thinking about mm-hmm. finances in uh, in 2023, right? Like a lot has changed on um, in capital markets, the way consumers are buying things, the, the cost of capital has gone up. So um, and not to mention inflation and all this other stuff going on. So as a business mm-hmm. owner, how do you think about um, you know what's your what's your strategy uh as you look to 2023
1: um that's a good question so i started cutting costs uh two or three months ago in, in a very aggressive way. Some marketing that wasn't as efficient as, as, I, as it has to be for what's coming. Um, also had to cut a few agencies that, that were helping us with some areas of the business. And it's very possible that I'm gonna keep cutting uh, to, to get everything leaner. I wanna be uh, casual positive within six months. Um, and basically you know one part is cutting costs the other part is uh, being more efficient in your marketing so what I did and I think that everyone should do Blaine is is three things a take your your accounting your year-to-date uh, PL month by month uh, I don't know how to say, it, but basically each month, then do some vertical analysis. Okay. What's my shipping out of revenue? What's my refunds out of revenue? What's like all of these things to understand these numbers for every month? Uh, put everything on a, on a, on a, on an Excel sheet and you'll see if there's a lot of variability. If there's a, a lot of variability, then check what's going on. But generally speaking, everything should be more or less stable, meaning refunds returns shipping costs you know a bunch of things right um even even customer acquisition costs when you blend it in it should be more or less stable right once you do that you're gonna build a model um that's gonna you know ex- let you know what are the levers for you to 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 you know, grow the business, right? If CAC goes down by you know 10%, if retention in the first month goes up by 10%, if I increase my AOV, if I if I increase my margins, all that you need to play with that to understand better your business. And third, build something called a 13-week cash flow projection. It's very simple. You know, each week is one column. Each row is one, you know, at the beginning is your income, then all the expenses, including your, your variable expenses, including your purchasing, and then check when you're going to have holes in your cash flow, holes basically mean like negative uh, cash any month, and then just plan for that. Either get a loan, uh, go, you know, pre-sell stuff to your customers, figure it out earlier than later that's what i would say yeah
0: and that's actually a point that i wanted to get into in terms of um in terms of capital and financing especially especially in those sort of situations so how are you thinking about that are you um are you looking are, have you guys traditionally done anything in terms of like loans and financing to finance inventory is that something if if so like how to go and what what are you changing in the strategy there um yeah how, why don't we talk a little bit about actual capital and making sure you have enough inventory to to stock your your next um your next sale
1: yeah yeah so inventory for us at the moment is not an issue because lead times were so long that we prepared very well you know we have been very conservative conservative with our inventory uh levels right to make sure that we have at least six months worth of inventory okay but having said that i think there are three things that you should do a shorten your cash conversion cycle what that means is that when you outlay one dollar how long does it take for that dollar to come back so shorten it. what's the length of the cap so the lead time from your supplier um how long does it take for you to sell those goods? Maybe you maybe you do an average, you figure it out. Um, and, and in our case, we sell direct to consumers. So we get that cash right away. So so, you know, that is also helping to help you to compress it. But then you can use you can you should ask your suppliers to give you credit at least 30 days. Maybe you use plastic.com. I haven't used it yet, but I for sure will use it easier to extend the, that, you know, those payables by 60 days. And at the beginning, it was stupid to you, like, hey, you know, what's the point? Like, if I have the money now, I can pay it now. Yes, but when you extend everything, you are liberating, you're freeing cash to keep growing because you're pushing everything for the future. And if you are growing, your needs in the future will be, you know, of cash will be higher and higher and higher so the more you can push that the better so credit with your suppliers plus plastic maybe you can use settle.co I think it's also a great alternative you can pre-sell stuff to your customers um, and lastly I think that getting loans for from two different uh, vendors uh, is great one is the SBA if you can get a loan you know, uh, uh, with a 10 year term that's going to be Uh, probably is going to be prime rate plus, uh, I don't know, some percentage, but that's, you know, a 10 year, your, your, your repayment is going to be the minimum. like, you're not, you're not going to feel it, but you're going to feel really great right now, having that cash, not to go out and spend it, but just to know that you have some wiggle room. Um, and. Yes, SBA and Amazon. If you sell on Amazon, just with a couple of clicks, you can get a loan from Amazon. Um, just Lendistry, uh you know, crowdsourcing kind of like uh, funding platform. You can get it for ten point uh, ten point five percent for three years. I think that's amazing. Uh, you know, at the current in the current conditions. So that's my two cents on on financing.
0: It's super important, especially being able to focus on where you're getting your capital from and what you're paying for that capital and also focusing on really optimizing your cash conversion cycle, especially in these markets, right? Because that is that that's going to be key. Um, And then as we kind of look forward to um, 2023 and other business initiatives, like where, where are you guys focused? Are you guys just focused on using the year in terms of like optimizing what you currently have and growing from there? Are you focused on any new specific channels? Like, are you guys in retail, for example, or are you specifically, are you D2C Amazon? So I guess what channels and what other um, things are you really focused on for for 2023 from an operational point of view?
1: Yeah, operational point of view, uh, expand product line, um, definitely push harder into going, into going to retail and i think that every one of their mother is going to do that next year so it's going to be tough uh for retailers to accept all of us so just you know prepare for that try to give your best shot but i think that all of us are going to try to go to retail and um at least in my case expand the product awesome
0: so um well first we just want to thank you for coming on D2C pod today taught us a lot. Really excited for DuraDry and where you guys are headed in the next year. And then for our listeners, where can we connect with you guys and the brand as well? Are you um, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, give why don't you shout out your socials?
1: Yes. For for our product, go to the website duradry.com or search for us uh on Amazon. Uh if you wanna get in touch with me or you know, just shoot the shit whenever, whenever. (laughs) <laughs> we can uh, reach out uh, on Twitter, Y B H.
0: Awesome. Well, Jack, thanks so much for joining us on the pod. We had a great time, and we can't wait to see what's in store for DuraDry next year.
1: Awesome, Lord. Thank you so, so much. I-, I had a blast.
0: Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC Pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and a review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.